Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. Well, come with me uh, to Jerusalem, the city of peace, the joy of the whole earth, the city in which God's temple, the place where God's throne and name dwell, is to be found. Uh, Come with me there on the ninth day of the Jewish month of Av, late July on our calendars, so around about now in the year 587 BC. For 18 months, Jerusalem has been besieged by a vast Babylonian army. Inside the city, horrors beyond imagination are occurring. There's no food. There is no water. The people are starving to death. And then the walls are breached and the killing begins. The ninth day of Av, 587, is the darkest day in Israel's history. Up to this point, the temple is desecrated, the walls are demolished, the king is humiliated. It's a day of killing and devastation. And there are godly believers in the city on that day, including the prophet Jeremiah, who witnesses the carnage. So do the authors of the five poems that make up the book we know as Lamentations. For generations, Hebrew people knew this book by the first words of chapters one, two, and four. They simply called this book, How? Or In What Way? It's a stark naming of the horror and the terror. Israel suffered on the ninth day of Av 587. So these aren't just laments. They're not just poems of grief. They're grounded in history and in the experience of Israel. And they are ordered around the Hebrew alphabet, so they're not free-flowing poems. Each poem starts with the lines of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And this one, chapter 3, in groups of three lines, we move through the successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. This is what some commentators call ordered grief, what we might call a liturgy of grief. Uh, something to help us grieve, but something which is very well worked now and set. It's one person's lament, speaking on behalf of the people. The first words, I am the man who has seen affliction, speaks of a person who has suffered deeply. Something like Isaiah's suffering servant, in some ways he gives voice to the pain of all during this time. And there are three sweeping expressions of grief in the lament of Lamentations 3. And the first sweeping section from verses 1 to 18 is an expression of overwhelming despair. And the images in 1 to 18 are brutal and the despair is overwhelming. God is portrayed as an angry enemy. And the name of the Lord's not used. It's God at a distance. He, he, he is 
besieging me. He has captured me. He is a conqueror. He has walled me in and weighed me down. He's like a bear. He's like a lion. He has mangled me. He is an archer who is firing his arrows into my heart, into my liver. He's piercing me. As I say, these images are brutal. By the time the name of the Lord is used in chapter 3, verse 18, we read the words, my splendour is gone and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. Utter despair. But in verses 19, 20 and 21, the writer calls to mind his past experience of God's goodness. He writes, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. And from his memory, there is a transition from despair to holding on and clinging to hope. It's not the kind of holding on that is cheap or that resolves the despair, but it meets the despair as the lament moves to the central section of this chapter and indeed the central section of the book. Agony is not resolved, but here is a willing of memory of recall as he writes the great words in 22, 23 and 24. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait. Despair met by holding on, by clinging, by remembering past days. And in 325 to 31, he dares to say the Lord is good to those who hope. It's good to wait quietly. It's good to bear the yoke, to sit in silence, because God is compassionate. And in verses 34 to 36, God is not unjust. Despair and then holding on gives rise to the third sweeping movement of the chapter, which is crying out. From 340 to 66, alongside the despairing and the holding on, there is an appeal as the writer cries out to God for mercy in 340 to 51 and then petition for deliverance and even vengeance in 352 to 66. He dares to cry out to the Lord in his despair and his clinging. He says, let us examine our ways and test them. Let us return to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and our hands to the God of heaven. Let us say we have sinned and rebelled and you have not forgiven. In 358, he says, Lord, you took up my case. Lord, you've seen the wrong done to me. Uphold my cause. So here are three sweeping movements of grief. Utter despairing, brutal images, holding on, calling to memory, and then crying out and waiting. And I think those three great movements in Lamentations 3 probably characterise 
suffering at its worst and grief at its worst. There are times of utter despair. There are times of remembering and clinging. And then there are the times of crying out and waiting and hoping. A lament is so important in scripture. There are these five great liturgies. There are more than 40 psalms. There are significant passages in the prophets, Jeremiah, for example, in which despairing, holding on and crying out and then waiting are evident. But how are we to respond to a lament such as Lamentations 3? And I think now we need to tread very carefully because moving from Lamentations 3 to our times and places is not as easy as we might imagine. But firstly, we do want to affirm the importance of lament just as a spiritual discipline in a broken and grieving world. We have songs of praise in scripture and we have songs for grieving. And taking time to sit with the suffering in our own lives, the lives of our friends and family, and the suffering all around the world is crucial. Developing liturgies and practices that assist is important. We all experience suffering and times of unexplained tragedy. We all experience the relentless grind of failures and disappointments, and at times, our experience of life is overwhelming in its sadness. Uh, last week, I conducted a funeral at the church and then at the gravesite in Springwood. Uh, there were only 10 allowed to be there, and the youngest who were at the funeral at the gravesite were two or three little boys, uh, all under the age of 12. Um, and I was just reflecting how absolutely important the graveside service was. As music was played, memories were spoken, tears were shed, and then these lads placed flowers on the casket and watched as it was lowered into the ground and hugged and experienced the grief of their parents. And I was thinking it's so important to lament. But I want to say that Lamentations is not any kind of lament. It's not a general lament. It's a lament from history. It's a particular kind of lament. And it's not a lament to use for all seasons of grief or all seasons of suffering. We need to recognise what kind of lament Lamentations is. Lamentations 3 tonight and Lamentations as a book is the lament of a person who knows that God's judgment on Israel in late July of 587 was just. It's the lament of a person who is owning up to their sin and Israel's sin. It's the lament of a covenant breaker. It's the lament of a sinful person on behalf of sinful people. And it's this kind of lament, and it's why this kind of lament is so important, it's this kind of lament that leads to confession of sin, repentance from sinful ways, turning back to God, calling out for mercy, and adopting humility and love as a way of life. It's this kind of lament that David expressed in Psalm 51 when he was racked with guilt 
because of his sin. He wrote, have mercy on me, God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. It's the kind of lament I believe Jesus often felt as he was faced with an unrepentant Israel. When Jesus comes to Jerusalem and to the temple, he laments, he cries out, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who were sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. And in 66 to 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed again and so was the temple. And in the unjust and corrupt and greedy Roman world of Jesus' day, he is shaped by such lament when he pronounces blessings upon the poor and blessings upon the hungry and blessings on those who weep in Luke 6 because they won't play the corrupt games of the Roman Empire. They won't indulge in the injustice. They won't practice the violence and the status getting. It's the kind of lament that causes Jesus to cry out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the kind of lament that causes the Apostle Paul to write about himself in this way. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Lament is the starting point for confession and praise. Laments like Lamentations 3 probe and expose the reason why the crucifixion, burial and then resurrection of Jesus is the only way God can rescue rebellious humans such as we are. Because we are before a holy God guilty and our hearts are habitually deceitful in the words of Jeremiah, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Such lament is the ground from which we wake up in the morning and give thanks to God that we're only alive because of mercy and grace. Such lament gave rise to the historical prayer of the Christian church, the Jesus Prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. In the Our World Belongs to God Creed, such lament gives rise to this statement about the identity of the church. Here's how they describe the church. 
The church is a gathering of forgiven sinners called to be holy, saved by the patient grace of God. We deal patiently with each other and together confess our need for grace and forgiveness. And restored in Christ's presence, shaped by his life, this new community, the church, lives out the ongoing story of God's reconciling love, announces a new creation and works for a world of justice and peace. The next time I really need to repent, I need to read Lamentations. The next time you fail someone or sin against God, you need to read Lamentations. The next time we are complacent or tempted to be self-righteous or forget what it cost Jesus to rescue us from God's judgment, we need to read Lamentations. And the next time we identify with or perhaps feel complicit in the sins of this nation or the sins of the nations of the world, we need to read Lamentations. Lament is the ground from which our recognition of sin, then confession of sin is practised. Here's what commentate, one commentator writes. When we bring our sins to another Christian, they become concrete and their ugliness cannot be hidden from view. Confession, whether in secret prayer or in the presence of a caring fellow Christian, honours Christ. It is fitting, John Calvin wrote, that by the confession of our own wretchedness, we show forth the goodness and mercy of our God among ourselves and before the whole world. Lament of the kind that we have in Lamentations is the ground in which humility, gratitude, confession, repentance and holy living grow and flourish. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he will and he does. Sometimes we will despair over the sins of the world and possibly the sins in our own lives. And then we'll find ourselves holding on and clinging to grace and crying out and waiting and hoping. And now in Christ, as we despair sometimes, hold on sometimes, cry out sometimes and wait, we can rest in the grace and the mercy that's been revealed and grow in our discipleship. So may our lives be characterised by such lament as we have in Lamentations and may it become a book that we'll often turn to as we seek to live holy and humble lives before a holy, forgiving God. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the honest, rough prayer of Lamentations. Thanks for the owning up to failure in Israel in 587. 
and thank you that right in the middle of the lament is the recognition that your mercies are new every morning and great is your faithfulness. And so, Lord God, you are our portion today as we now know you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on us, for we are sinners received by grace into your church. In Jesus' name, amen.